Gracious God, thank you very much for your word. I pray, Father, that as we read it, you'd open it up to us, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and fill me up so that I can bring your word to your people today boldly and faithfully uh, in an accurate way, in an understandable way, and in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus. And we thank you to be able to gather here and worship you by hearing your word uh, read and proclaimed. And we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, Savanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Acacia, in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. We're living in some really interesting days. And interesting is the word that I tend to use when I can't really find the right word. You know, if something is really bad and really good at the same time, I say it's interesting. If I feel really up and really down at the same time, I say life is interesting right now. Yeah, so it's, it's that word that I like to use. And we are living in some incredibly interesting times globally. Uh, not in a, at least a half century, I think, have we been so close to the possibility of a, a global war or a glo another cold war uh, or another meltdown financially or any number of things that could happen. And even in the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, we're seeing some very interesting times because there's some places in the world the church is growing rapidly there's other places in the world, like the United States, where it really seems under attack and seems like it is so capitulated to some of the spirit of the age that it's weakened its witness, whether it's liberal or conservative. And also, one of the really interesting things globally amongst Christians is never before that I know in history have there been three factors that have been so prominent in the thinking of Christians all around the globe. And the three factors are, one, that the church really needs another reformation. Everywhere I go, in every continent, 
that I hear people talking from, because I don't go to every continent, but every, every continent I hear from, people are talking about reformation in the church, and the church needs to be reformed, that something needs to happen. Even in places where the church is growing, they talk about reformation. Also, around the world, people are talking about the next great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You, you guys know, we've been talking about this here for more than a year, praying for it, prophesying, prophesying it, having faith that it's going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. <coughs> Pardon me. And interestingly, most people in the world think the next great outpouring of the Holy Spirit will start in Europe. How about that? And many people in Europe expect it to start in the UK. Isn't that interesting? And where do we happen to be? I'm kind of glad I'm where I'm at right now. And so we're believing that. And it's extraordinary that you hear these themes around the world. It's no accident that you've seen in the last few years all these American ministries all of a sudden flocking into Europe and doing these big conferences and events and things like that because they have a sense of what's coming on, you know? And so that's what Americans do. Uh, when we have a sense of something gonna happen, we all invade it and try to take over it and make it, you know, American. Uh, and so I've been trying to push back the tide of Americans and I can do that because I'm American. So I just say, Americans, you know, come on guys. Uh, you don't do the American thing here. We need the God thing here, you know? But anyway. So not, never before. And the third thing, never before in the history of the world have Christians globally expected the second coming of Jesus so soon. Now, that's right. Some people say, well, Christians always expected the second coming of Jesus. And there is some truth to that. And that there, there have always been kind of crazy groups that have sprung up. Uh, like the guys, you know, the 88 reasons why Jesus will come in 1988. I mean, you've always had those kinds of things uh, that have come and gone. Uh, people selling their homes, moving to a mountain, waiting for Jesus, and he doesn't show up. You know, so that's always happened. But never before in history has the global church had such an expectation of the imminent second coming of Jesus. That has never been the case before today. And so... This all begs the question, how do we live? How do we live in light of these interesting times in the world? And how do we live in light of the expectation of the reformation of the church, uh, a major outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the second coming of Jesus? Do we go about doing everything the way we've always done it? Or... Is there something different about the way that we need to live? And obviously, you know, when I ask a rhetorical question, it usually points us in a certain way. Uh, and yes, these times are making demands on us in the body of Christ, particularly here in London and all across Europe, and God is calling us to examine our lives and not go about just business as usual and church as usual. We need to be conscious of these realities and say, how do we live so that we're ready if there's a reformation? How do we live so that we're ready when the Holy Spirit comes and pours out again? How do we live so that we're ready 
when Jesus comes again, how do we live so that we're ready if things fall apart? How do we live so that we are ready? And the word that describes how we live is probably the word sanctified. At least it seems to be the theme of 1 Thessalonians. And the reason we're looking at 1 Thessalonians is as you read Thessalonians, you realize that Paul is talking to a group of people whose reality or whose perspective of reality was very similar to ours. This group of people were living in very difficult times. Things were up and down all around them. This group of people, they were living with the idea that Jesus could come any moment. This is the only time in history that the global church has expected Jesus to come imminently since the first generation of Christians, since Paul's generation. So they were living with this reality. They were living with an expectation that God was going to do something significant to advance his kingdom. And so Paul is writing them to commend them and say, hey guys, you're doing great, but now I want to give you some encouragement so that you keep on going on. And the theme of what Paul is talking about really is how we live lives that are sanctified. Now, as Christians, we have been sanctified through union with Jesus. So if you are a Christian, you were justified, you were adopted, you were saved by grace through faith. All of that happened together, and you were also sanctified. Most of the texts in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, when it talks about our sanctification, talks about what Jesus has already done for us. So we were brought in union with Jesus, and we were sanctified, and being sanctified meant that we were cleansed of our sin and we were consecrated unto God for a special purpose. Cleansed of our sins and consecrated. And we go through an ongoing process in our lives of continuing to be cleansed and consecrated until that day when Jesus Christ comes again and we are sanctified fully when we are fully cleansed and fully consecrated, never to be dirty or unconsecrated ever again. And so we're living in that time and Paul is writing to people living in that time and saying this is how you can live sanctified lives before God so that you are ready no matter what happens. So that you're ready to do whatever it is that God wants you to do. And that's really the theme of the next uh, was about 13 sermons, about 13 weeks that we'll spend all together in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, that is the theme of this time. How do we live sanctified, cleansed and consecrated lives before the Lord so that we are ready whatever God does whenever God wants to move? And that's so important. Uh, it's a bit like, I, I think a little bit like uh, uh, growing up in, in, in my household, I knew that there were certain days of the week when my mom would go shopping. I knew that. I also knew that on Saturday mornings, one of the things that my dad just loved to do was to go and buy a dozen donuts. And in those days, I mean, we don't get those little wimpy donuts like you get in the supermarket. I mean, those, those puppies were like four feet long. And no, okay, they weren't that, but they seemed, you know, to my little eyes, they seemed that way. And we always got a baker's dozen. You know what a baker's dozen is? 13. You know, that, so that, that was always great. 
Now here's the deal. If, say on a Saturday morning, my dad was ready to go get donuts and I was not out of bed, dressed and ready to go get donuts, guess who didn't get to go pick out his favorite donuts? And my dad might decide that day not even to go get donuts. What a tragedy. Hey, it can happen, you know? And guess what? If my mom wanted to go shopping and she was ready to go out shopping, she didn't say, Rod, do you want to come with me? Oh, I'll wait 30 minutes while you get out of bed, take a shower and get dressed. It was, if I was ready, I went. If I wasn't ready, I didn't go. And if I didn't go, that meant that I couldn't pick out all my favorite sweet things and harass her into buying them all for her. I didn't have to harass my mom. She was always happy to do that. I love my mom. It's too bad she was with the Lord, but right now she's with the Lord enjoying all the sweet things of heaven. So anyway, so here's the point. If we are not ready when the Lord moves, guess who misses it? We do. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Throughout this whole, this whole letter, he's talking about, guys, you're doing a great job. You've got everything going, but keep ready. Keep ready. Keep ready so that when the Lord moves, you're part of it and you don't miss it. And Jesus taught about that a lot. And so today, Paul is telling us in this first chapter, and there's a lot of different ways you can approach this, but I'd like to suggest in this first chapter that Paul really gives us three bases for how we're going to live in this season. Three bases for how we are going to live sanctified lives. It's like a foundation for sanctified living. And if we don't have this foundation in place, we cannot live consistently in a sanctified way. So what's the foundation that Paul was talking about here? I'd like to suggest three. The first one is that we need to know that we are loved and chosen by God. He talks about giving thanks and remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast. For we know brothers and sisters, that word brothers means both men and women, loved by God that he has chosen you. So we have to know that we are chosen and loved by God. Many of you know that I was adopted. And I always loved that, being adopted. I know some people, it traumatizes them. <laughs> My parents gave me away. You know, I, I was always okay with that. You know, I, I guess even as an early age, I sensed God in it. My parents never kept it from me. But I also remember in, uh, in grade school when I was a young lad, uh, you know, that I could say to people, I say, you know, my parents got to pick me. Yours were stuck with the end product. Uh, and that's the way we are with God. Do you know God has chosen you? He didn't say, oh, you know, I'll pick that one. I don't really like her. I don't really like him. He's kind of ugly and he's not going to play very well. He chose you, knowing you exactly as you are. So we have to know that we are chosen and loved by God. And the way that we have done that is that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose bodily from the dead on the third day in victory over sin, death, and hell, and that we are united with Christ Jesus by grace through faith, whereby we experience all of that. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And it's the gospel that comes to us, and this gospel has come to us in word. We've heard it preached and we've read it in the Bible. This gospel has come to us in power, 
so that something has happened in our lives. You know, if you think you're a Christian, but your life hasn't changed, you're not a Christian. If there's no evidence of God's power having worked in you, then you really need to question whether or not you're a believer in Jesus, whether or not the gospel has come to you. Because the gospel has come to us in power. The gospel comes to us in the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. And also, the gospel comes with us to us with conviction. It doesn't mean that we don't doubt. Every one of us doubt from time to time. But I know whom I believe, and I am convinced that he is able to redeem me. I trust him what he's going to give me in that day. You know, I know that Jesus is alive. I believe there's a conviction inside of me that overcomes my doubts. Doesn't mean I don't have doubts, but I have that conviction. And so these dynamics here, the word coming to us, the power of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the conviction, the assurance that we have, those things combine together to remind us continually that we are loved and chosen by God. And if we don't know that, and we don't have faith in that, and we don't remember that, it is impossible to live a sanctified life. That's the first basis here. That's the first basis. Second basis for living the sanctified life is receiving the word. We need to receive the word and keep on receiving the word. Now Paul there talks in the middle of the section about uh, imitating them, listening to the word, becoming examples to other people. So what they were doing, they were looking for and having leaders that they knew that they could imitate. So they got the word and the word was coming and they kept listening to the word. And they were listening and receiving the word, knowing that when you receive the word, it will always bring testing and affliction. Always. Now, that's really good news, right? Everybody says, yeah, more testing, more affliction. You know, none of us want that. But actually, it's testing and affliction that grounds us more deeply in the word. Now, we can, we can believe that we're not supposed to lie But it's when we come up against the opportunity to lie and we choose not to lie, even to our own harm, that begins to ground us into that reality. And so that's what they were doing. They were receiving the word, even though it brought testing and affliction. And they were receiving the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They said, okay, this is the word of God. This is how I live. And so if we're not receiving the word, we don't have a basis from which to live the sanctified life. And we need to receive the word and keep on receiving the word. And that's one of the reasons why we come together on a Thursday. I mean, most of us would have better things to do perhaps on a Thursday lunchtime, perhaps even eat lunch, than come and worship the Lord and listen to the word. But we do that because we want to live in the way that pleases God, to live that sanctified life so that we're ready. And then the third thing, the third basis, third foundation, he talks about here of Turning to the living and true God to serve him. We need to turn and return to the living and true God. Many of us wander away. Many of us commit sins. I mean, it's the truth of life. We do this. And the issue with God is not really so much whether or not we sin. The issue with God is whether or not we'll turn to him and return to him. And so every day of our lives is the process of turning and returning. 
every opportunity that I get to make a decision between something that may please God and may not please God is an opportunity for me to turn to the living and true God. And every decision that I make that doesn't please God is an opportunity for me to return to the living and true God. And this turning and returning to the living and true God is essential. We have to turn from idols. And an idol is anything in your life that you look to for your significant security or acceptance other than Jesus. So we, we got to deal with idols. We turn to God to serve God. But remember, we serve God as sons, not as miserable, no good for nothing servants. We serve God as those who are chosen and loved by God, not as those who are trying to please God so that he doesn't cast us in the fires of hell. Big difference there. But we have to remember, our role is to serve God. Every day, at work, at home, every time you are challenged to do good and to serve the living God, and you have to keep turning to do that and returning to do that because, honestly, we all live in a bit of selfishness that way. And we turn and return, as Paul's talking here, waiting for Jesus. This means that we don't have everything yet that God has promised us. We're waiting patiently for Jesus who's going to come. One day he's going to save us from the wrath to come. But he's going to come. He's going to visit us. He, he, you know, he's going to bring all of his promises are going to come to fulfillment one day. But we have to wait patiently as we turn and return to the living and true God. And these three things become the basis for sanctified living. And if you're missing one of these three things, it will always undermine your ability to live a sanctified life unto the Lord. Very much like a three-legged stool. You take one leg out of the stool and then try to sit on it. You can't. In the same way, if you try to live a sanctified life before the Lord without these three things, you can't do it. But the good news here is that Jesus has brought all of these three to us. None of these are things we have to strive for. All of these are things we accept we accept by grace through faith that God has provided all of these for us so that we might live lives pleasing to him. It's not another kind of works righteousness, but we're liberated from works righteousness because God's desire as we lived a sanctified life is for our sanctified life to become living naturally before the Lord a way of living where we don't think about it, we don't, we're not working at it, we're not trying to make it happen, but it's what we naturally do. It's what naturally flows out of our lives, and that's God's desire for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that you have called us to live sanctified lives before you in this time in which we're living. And I pray, Father, as we journey through 1 Thessalonians, that you would teach us step by step and bit by bit how to do this, how to live lives that are fully pleasing to you, to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has died on the cross, risen from the dead, who has saved us, justified us, ensured our adoption, and sanctified us. We honor you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.